This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Debunking Economics Podcast. I'm Phil Dobby, and today, the rising impact of the gig economy. Now, it's not quite the Arab-Israeli conflict, but it's getting there. I'm talking about the dispute between London's black cab drivers and Uber. Uh, one is taking the homeland away from the other one, so there are similarities, aren't there, with the Arab-Israeli conflict. Uh, black cab drivers, of course, defend that they're subject to a massive regulation that Uber drivers are not. It's the same argument that's happening in cities all around the world, and it's the same with Airbnb and the established accommodation industry. It's all part of the problem of the gig economy, and there's other ramifications too, zero-hour contracts where people who might previously have been employed are being told to set themselves up as sole traders and work as suppliers to a company. Because again, it avoids the regulations associated with employing people. Now, Steve Keane, uh, you know, that's the, the big concern, I guess, isn't it, about the gig economy? It's, it's, it's a way of lowering costs while avoiding regulations. And uh, we're seeing that time and time again. Yeah, and what the, the real trouble is with the people who are providers in this that they can't make a decent living out of it, uh, and that seems to be the case, particularly with a lot of people working for Uber, then it's an unsustainable model. It's a model which only works by churning uh, at the, the, the level of the providers, uh, because after the providers go and find they actually aren't making any money out of it, and they'll leave and new ones come in, yeah. and you have a market exploiting churn rather than a market being based on paying a decent wage. There's always another fool who's prepared to try this for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, look, the, uh, the here's an interesting figure. The latest UK employment statistics to January 2017. The number of employees increased by 144,000. That's the number of people working for someone else. The number of self-employed increased by more, by 148,000. In other words, words, uh, the number of people who are working for themselves account for more than half of all new jobs. Now, it's uh, people working for themselves are just 15% of the workforce now, but it could become very significant if that trend continues. So should we be worried about that? Oh, there's, there's positive elements to that as well as negative. I mean, you and I are both involved to some yeah, extent yeah. Are, in, yeah. in that market, and that's partly because you say, well, you don't want to work for a boss, you'd rather be working for yourself. Well, no one will, uh, no, no one wants me to work for them as well, to be oh, totally honest with you. Know. <laughs> okay. But so I'd rather it was that way. Yeah, that's that's the independent side of it, and of course that's very appealing. But of course it means you therefore have to live on a very um, you know volatile income base and. Uh, if you're willing to cope with that, then fine, you can actually turn into an overall market. So in that sense, you're being an entrepreneur. Uh, the trouble is a lot of people who are recorded as being self-employed, as you say, are working on zero-hour contracts to, where, there's, where they actually are being made into sort of commercial subcontractees of a large organisation, which is doing very nicely out of it. So I'll, I'll give a, a personal example. I have a, a very good cleaner coming here once every two weeks. As it happens, I pay more for the web service that hired her than I pay her per yeah, hour. yeah. Now you look at that and think, well, that is not exactly um, uh, that, that. That is amplifying the inequality problem we know existed uh, in the economy before the rise of the economy began. And again, it looks like something which is 
uh, you would hope, unsustainable because you wouldn't want somebody to live on the on the wages that a cleaner gets in this country. And yeah, these companies uh, are doing very well for themselves, aren't they? You know, they're yeah, listing yeah. as well on stock exchange and making their founders immensely rich on the back of, yeah, as you say, people who are, who are getting paid a pittance. Yeah, it'd be feasible if it was sustainable for both ends of the system. But if it's relying upon churn as the only source through which you get the staff that actually do the work, um, then it's only in the case of a, of a failing um, overall job market will that actually function. So if you actually had genuine full employment taking place and people had a choice between working for an employer uh, and, and working under the gig economy, they'd go for the employer. So it's mm. it's really a case of saying, well, this only the gig economy only works because the rest of the economy is working very poorly, and uh, that is not a healthy situation for either. Yeah, because component. Uh, yeah, okay, because it is. Uh, take your point. If the economy was 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 healthier, maybe people would. It, it, it's a risk avoidance thing, isn't it? By the um, by the employers. Well, it's easier for us to reduce our risk if we don't employ people directly. So we'll take contractors. But it's also uh, to do with regulation, isn't it? Which is where I started out. Because I mean, regulation is by and there, by and large, is there to protect people. It's to ensure this fairness and also to ensure this competition and also ensure nobody is left behind. Uh, without it, we have a very divided society. And it, it, it sort of looks like that's what we're seeing right now, isn't it? We are seeing a very divided society. And at the same time, we're seeing uh, people trying to flaunt that regulation because technology is the enabler behind this. If regulation changes because of that technology, it's easy to change the technology, less easy for a further response from the regulators. Technology is always going to be one step ahead. That's one of the problems with, with uh, Uber versus the taxi drivers, for example, because, mm. of course, you know, the, the classic thing in London, you have to have the knowledge to get a taxi licence, which means that if you're asked a question about how to get from... Uh, um, Waterloo Station to uh, Prince Albert Hall, you have to be able to describe every every last turn necessary to get an examination and say, right, you can be a taxi driver. Now, if you hop in an Uber vehicle, you see the little software package telling you, know, you where the car is, the driver where, the, where your passenger is, and what's the best route between the uh, two locations, given not just the road uh, network but conditions on those roads as well so that's a major disruptor if that came into the taxi industry then of course the skill level needed to be a taxi driver would fall quite substantially and you might imagine the taxi fares would fall as well uh, so it is something where if regulation uh, is, is partly there to show you're, gonna, you're not going to get a taxi driver who's also a part-time axe murderer um, and you don't necessarily have the same controls over Uber, although you'd obviously want them. But it's also partly the, the technological lockdown that comes with uh, a regulation approach only. So there, it is not one of those things where there's an easy solution. Right. Uh, there's parts of me that like what the gig economy has done, but I'd like them to be such that the people who worked in the gig economy got a living wage. But isn't that fair per enough? hour, at least. Yeah. But yeah, okay. Well, I, I want to lead on to that because I think that maybe is the conclusion to what we talk, want to talk about today. But so, so don't get there too early, please, because we'll be finishing off this conversation five minutes early. Uh, but, but I think you've just touched on it. But let's go back to those. Let's go back to those uh, those cab drivers because the situation you've described. What's wrong with that? Because a, a London cab driver, it's great that in the past they, you know, they knew every single nook and cranny in the in, uh -huh. in, in Britain's capital. But now they just need to turn on a sat nav, so they don't really need to do the knowledge. We just need someone who knows how to use a sat nav, and so as you say, they can be less skilled, less qualified, and therefore we'd expect to pay less for it, and they'd they'd make less money. 
Yeah, and that's something which you would expect to have happen, and therefore people in this particular case are going to come and say, well, the only reason the gig economy has expanded is because the price is too high, uh, because the technology hasn't advanced sufficiently uh, inside the industry, courtesy the regulation that means the technology is, is not required to make the money. So it, it is one of those areas where you a change in technology can completely change the landscape, and you want the, you want the regulators to respond uh, but of course, what they're doing is just not responding, and so the taxi drivers are going on strike on their own. Mm. And uh, it's it, everyone it, it is the, something where yeah, they go on strike. Everyone will, use, everyone will like, use Uber. And yeah. <laughs> uh, look, there was a, a federal court decision on this in the United States. It ruled in favour of uh, ride-sharing firms like Uber. This was late last year. Uh, over uh-huh. the, this was against the Chicago taxi industry. And I thought the judge summarised it very nicely. He said that it wasn't the, the businesses shouldn't be insulated from competition, no matter how disruptive. And they said, instead of taxis, we might have horses and buggies. Instead of the telephone, we might have the telegraph. Instead uh-huh. of computers, slide rules, obsolescence would equal entitlement. Couldn't have put it better myself. That's why, that's yeah. why these judges earn the big bucks. But then what you want to have is say, okay, at the same time, you don't want to be based on on, on, on unlimited exploitation of the staff who actually provide the yeah. labour in the gig economy. And therefore, the solution may be to say, well, if you're going to work for Uber, Uber has to have decent contract systems. So uh, the minimum time that somebody can be expected to work for must be four hours, which used to be the old rule, get rid of the zero contract arrangement. Yeah. And the minimum rate must be so many dollars per, per hour if they, uh, you know, if they get customers across that time you might have a bit of resharing between the company and the uh, and the uh, employee but at least give decent working conditions for the people in the in the uber and that would then because that would actually that would fairly substantially increase the cost of uber uh internally for uber it might reduce the profit margins of the uber share shareholders it'd still be advantageous but i i'm i'm very happy to see the tech the tax industry disrupted by new technology i'm not happy to see it disrupted by what amount to effectively slave wage payment payment rates in the in the gig economy and that's the current trade-off we face right which will get to which i think is the you know is the final point which will delay for a second but uh, i think you know some sort of universal basic income is is perhaps the is the answer behind all of this but before we yep. get there the the gig economy can I think, lead to much improved productivity. So I look at the way I work now, for example. Uh, you know, I get paid for the for the work I do. Uh, I don't get paid. You know, I've worked in large corporations and, uh, you know, I've got paid to hang around the water cooler, take a long lunch, uh, mm-hmm. n- natter about what was on TV last night. Uh, I don't do any of that now because I want to try and uh, make money for the hours I'm putting in. And I would have thought, you know, if every company was outsourcing a great deal more and paying people for the work they produce rather than the hours that they turn in. And, you know, those people similarly could perhaps work for several companies so long as there's not a conflict of interest. That's got to uh, ultimately lead to greater productivity for businesses, hasn't it? And a, and a better lifestyle for those people employed in that gig economy. It, it depends on the type of industry you're talking about. I mean, if you simply can't go out there and design your own 747. Mm. Um, so there are some areas where you want to have a corporate philosophy and where the uh, getting together doesn't involve sitting around a, 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 when you're around a cooler you're thinking up new ways to build aerofoils um, so there's creative elements to what looks like uh, slagging off it's more the internal bureaucratization of companies at least the result that you're talking about there and believe me i've seen the same thing at universities so um, it's it is there, this is one of the great questions in economics for some time in terms of conventional economic according to conventional economics they can't understand why firms exist 
Uh, we should all be working as independent contractors, et cetera, et cetera. In fact, the reason that they do is often, first of all, the collective philosophy evolves and therefore the corporation becomes a, a sort of unifying force for people's uh, ambitions and they work together in a way they'd never do with our uh, working as independent people charging each other. And then you also get the capability for design on a grand scale if those companies are well managed, where ideas come out of that, those corporate environments that would not necessarily have been generated by solo practitioners. And certainly the ideas couldn't even be put into practice. If you start looking at the level of uh, you know, capital investment needed to build a, silicon, a semiconductor plant, for example, you're talking billions. So you've got to have, uh, so you've got to have co- large organisations sure. doing it. And for those core functions, in, and in particular in research, I'd argue though, even in research, you know, there could be elements that could be uh, contracted out it's just a you know you've just got to find an effective way of working but it it, it does seem likely doesn't it that uh, companies are going to get sort of smaller and outsource more that that is going to be the trend going forwards trouble is outsourcing is again one of these things which has a lot of appeals to it until you actually try doing it so often the outsourcing means you don't have the inter- people say you should outsource things and not an expert at so a, a um uh, for example, a university shouldn't be producing its own, having its own computer staff, should outsource the key, uh, computing elements uh, of its operations to a company that's more efficient. Uh, often there are idiosyncratic things inside an organisation which vitally need somebody who actually is uh, on the ground and technologically capable in that area. I've seen lots of hassles caused by companies which thought they could outsource their computing and finding, in fact, they don't have the knowledge to even interpret what's being sold to them. Mm. So you have to have a certain amount of intelligence on the inside. You can't outsource everything. Like the uh, the Australian Bureau of Statistics outsourcing the uh, computer delivery of the census last year. That went well, didn't it? Yeah, not. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So, okay, but uh, uh, let's move on from that because uh, clearly there's a balance. So uh, you pointed to this, the idea, all of this, the idea of the gig economy does sort of lend itself, doesn't it, to the idea of a, of a universal basic income. We all get a certain amount of money. Perhaps we have a flat rate tax as well. That's going to simplify life. And uh, I do whatever I can through the gig economy to supplement that income. If tax is a flat rate, it could even be collected by the apps that are facilitating a lot of this work. We could have a very efficient tax system uh, behind all of it as well. It's a, I mean, this sort of fundamental shift could help facilitate this sort of economy if that yeah. is the way the world is moving. Yeah, it does, because at the moment, if you go into the gig economy, it's because you can't get a job on the full-time economy. You, uh, and if you're taking up a gig economy, you, you're not getting into access to uh, holiday pay, sick pay, uh, pension, et cetera, et cetera. You, you're taking what you can get, and then when you get out there, you're basically being exploited by companies like Uber, which can pay you a, a, a tr- trivial amount of money. And often, in some cases, you find yourself you're not actually not making any money at all. You'd be better off being on the dole. Uh, if you then had a, a, a universal basic income providing a floor that meant that if you're going to be attracted to work in the gig economy, it'd have to be worth your while, we might get a fairer distribution of income out of it and also the flexibility we want between people having to be locked into a corporation, which may end up being a soulless thing they want to leave, uh, and being out in the, in the, in the, in the free world being... Uh, to some extent entrepreneurial. So this sort of basic income idea could underwrite genuine entrepreneurial behaviour rather than the, the, the faux stuff we get right now. Right, but on the downside, couldn't we be also subsidising some of those businesses? Because in effect, we are it, 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 we are paying you know the, the marginal rate 
You know, it's sort of like those those companies can say, well, uh, all we need to do is pay people just enough to supplement the the income that they're already getting, rather than paying a, a full living wage for them. So it's sort well, of like they're a- doing what what they're doing right now. Again, from what I can tell from rates for Uber drivers, looks like they're paying close to zero in mm. terms of the, the difference between the cost of those drivers actually being in the car and and paying out all their costs and the revenue they get. Uh, so many are making the calculation they can't sustain it and they get out again so we, right. we do need to have that floor higher right but it, but if but, but if we if we introduce a universal basic income and then businesses can say well okay we just need to pay people just enough to to supplement the income they've already got rather than pay them a full living wage uh, then every company is going to say well if you're doing that we might as well do that as well so uh, all of a sudden you're having this big shift of uh, of money where uh, people are paying less because the public purse is paying more yeah, I think it's uh, if, if, if you've got a, a base income, it, it still has to be cost advantageous for anybody to go into that. If you're going to be spending your time uh, to, to get attracted to go and work an Uber, uh, if you've already got a basic income which covered your fundamental cost of living, it'd only go to Uber if that would increase that margin. Mm. So I think that's not a problem. Yeah, you've still got competition for your time. You're still going to go yeah. for wherever you can make the most money. Yeah, it's an interesting thought, isn't it? And actually one that we may just have to do because of the gig economy. Yeah, it'll be, it may force us into a basic income, which would be quite a strange outcome, uh, but uh, politics works in strange ways. Yeah, and it could come on us very quickly. This, the world is shifting very quickly in terms of uh, the world of work, as we've seen with the, the demonstration of the number of people who are, who are now becoming self-employed. Interesting mm. one to watch. Appreciate your time, Steve. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, Steve and I are definitely an example of the gig economy. Aren't we putting up a podcast that you have to pay for? Goodness me. Uh, There's an example, I guess, uh, of, you know, ideas that people do come up with to try and make a few bucks on the side. That's it for this edition of the Debunking Economics Podcast. I'm Phil Dobby. I'll be back with Steve Dean again very soon. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y-Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y-Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.